0: Welcome to Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. Full Circle Radio. It's the classic Jesus music radio show.
1: It's a look back at where it all began.
0: This is Full Circle, looking back at the beginnings of today's contemporary Christian music. Now, Now, here's your host, Jerry Bryant.
1: Hi, everybody, this is Jerry Bryant. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle, the classic Jesus music radio show, taking a look back at the first two decades of contemporary Christian music. Now, on this episode, I have a special guest, John Elefante most noted as producer for the group Petra during the John Slit era, along with his brother Dino Elefante. And they were also responsible for helping to shape the sound for many other groups, including such hard rock acts like Baron Cross, Leviticus Guardian, The Bride, as well as Greg Long, Nouveau, Jonathan Pierce, Natalie Grant, Rick Cua, and even Carmen. Recently, John hosted me at his home here in Nashville, and we talked about his experiences in both the secular and Christian music world. So let's get right into that interview as I ask him about his start in music with a group called The Brotherhood, as well as his journey in faith with Jesus. Full Circle.
2: The Brotherhood was a, uh, an extremely popular top 40 act in Southern California. We did everything from the Jacksons music to Chicago, to oldies, I mean real real oldies, back in you know, the 50s and 60s stuff. So we covered every spectrum of music. And we had, uh, I would I would play drums, and I had another singer that had a much lower voice than me. He would come out and sing the stuff that was, you know, required lower, you know, baritone type singing. And then I would come out behind the drums and I would sing the Jackson stuff. You and I, all that. And we just got tremendously popular at a young age. We played at Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, and we would get booked like, seriously, two years in advance. And the band consisted of me and my brother, my two cousins, so four elefantes, ooh, that's gonna be dangerous, and um, two friends. That's pretty much where it started. I got saved in 1980 by a guy that I'd known since the third grade, a guy named Mark Ambrose. It was in a band called Idle Cure. I knew Mark way before Idle Cure And I actually went out and did a they, Before Idle Cure they were called Sojourn And they enlisted me to drum Because I didn't want to sing It was just, I didn't want the hassle of singing I just wanted to drum I didn't have to worry about not getting enough sleep And not being able to sing So I said let me just drum Anyway Mark Mark um, came back into my life in 1980 After some time off that I hadn't seen him in a while And he, he was noticeably different He was v- very noticeably different And um he started talking to me about Jesus and, and, you know, if I die tomorrow, do you think you'll go to heaven, John? I didn't have to answer that question. You know, I kind of tried to, to avoid him a little bit, but, you know, it was, I can only do that so long and, and um, you know, he just, he was, he was so different. I mean, there was something so different about him. That was really intriguing to me. And um, to condense the story, he gave me the book Evidence Demands a Verdict by um, Josh McDowell. And... Talk about Rocked My World. That book Rocked My World. And I hope they're still printing that book. And I hope it's out so kids can listen to it while they're working out or while they're riding a bike or whatever they do. I couldn't deny it anymore. I just you know, I just couldn't deny the truth anymore. I, you know, I've always said that I think it takes more faith to not believe than to believe. It really does. There's way more evidence that Christ did exist and that He is who He said He is than the other side of it.
1: Here with a song from John's friend, Mark Ambrose, and his band, Idle Cure. Come back to me on Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. Come. To me, Idle Cure. On this special edition of Full Circle, where I'm talking with John Elefante, who's been involved in the Christian music business for over 30 years. Singer, songwriter, performer, producer, studio musician, and label founder, John's done it all. Now, one thing I'd like to say before I go on further with the show is I had such a great time talking with John. He was quite a host, and He had a lot to say, so I thought I'd let him do most of the talking on this episode rather than the usual ranting I do that my regular listeners are used to. So to continue on with John's background, he didn't become involved with Christian music until the 80s. He wasn't even aware of this type of music until he got a phone call one day, found himself at a concert with one of the most hard-hitting Jesus music groups of the day. But let's let John tell the story in his own words.
2: You know, during, during that time, during the brotherhood, I think we were doing shows when I was even 13 and 14. My relationship with God was absolutely non-existent. The only thing I remember is my mom really trying to uh, compel us to go to church, get involved with some kind of youth group or something, and we would hear nothing of it. We were too into just... Playing music and you know, looking at girls and surfing in Southern California and pretty distracted by the the dumb things of the world. But uh, I had no clue what Christian music was until I don't even remember what year this was. I think it might have been right around 1979, maybe 1980. Right around that time, uh, we owned we owned our own PA system, a nice PA system, and this band came to town and. They didn't have a PA system, and the PA system the church was offering them was horrible. So they were they were scrambling to find a PA for this gig this night, and they got a hold of our phone number. So we said, "Sure, we'll rent you know we'll rent you the PA system." And we went that me and Dina went down there and set it up for them in a church. I thought it was just going to be you know some kind of church band singing "Goombay," you know. I had no idea. So you know, it was pretty ignorant at the time. It, it turned out to be the Res Band. They did their sound check and everything, and I got to tell you that was probably the beginning of when I started to light up, because Glenn Kaiser just rocked my world. You know, I had no idea that Christian music had that kind of power, and I had no idea that there were actually people singing about Jesus that also knew how to rock and roll. That was like, that wasn't supposed to be, you know what I mean? And uh, that was that was influential in, in me coming to the Lord for sure. I I, I didn't come to the Lord until a few years after that. But uh, that was my first encounter with classic Christian music.
1: And it was John Elefante's exposure to that group that helped to plant some seeds of salvation for an opportunity that God was going to ordain within the next year. Now, beside John's involvement as a producer for all the groups I mentioned earlier... He was also the lead singer for the rock group, Kansas. But I'll let him share the progression of how that all came about.
2: So, uh, now uh, we move up to 1981, the end of 1981. Another guy from the band, Idle Cure, Chuck King, I think he was the guitar player. uh, We had a studio at my parents. We converted an old garage into a studio at my parents' house, where I also lived. And he comes running up the driveway one day. He's like, he's all, all excited. He goes, did you hear? Did you hear? You know, I just heard it on KMET that uh, Steve Walsh left Kansas, and they're actually doing auditions. He goes, man, you got to do it. You're the guy. What are you talking about? I thought you stopped smoking pot when you got saved. And um, he goes, really, man? You got to send in a tape or something, man. And, you know, right right then I thought, yeah, what are the chances of me getting that gig? So to to keep the story as short as I possibly can... I sent the tape to an address that, I forget where I got the address, I think I knew an attorney that was in the same office as Chuck Hurwitz, Kansas's attorney, and I said, please forward this on to Chuck Hurwitz, Bud Carr, I knew he was the manager, and that was really I didn't think much about it, about a week later, I got a call by Bud Carr, he said, I want you to come up to, uh, I think he lived in Tol- Toluca Lake, California, I want to meet you, so I went up there with him and we chatted and sat down said okay i'm gonna send the tape out to the guys in the band so he did and they, they all got to hear it and it was uh, four original songs i believe i think three of which were on vinyl confessions and um next thing next thing i knew i got a call from carrie Livgren and phil Hart. you know it was just all happening so quick it was like a dream you know And i went and auditioned uh, the scariest part was when i went and auditioned in the studio for for bud car because they were they would had just started um vinyl confessions when Steve left the band and there wasn't much of the record done but I walked in the studio and there is one of the most legendary producers, a guy named Ken Scott who produced a couple of small acts called The Beatles, Elton John, Supertramp, David Bowie, you know a lot of small name acts and I'm sitting there pretty much you know shaking in my pants thinking I have to go sing for this guy? This guy has been around the best of the best of the best But he was so, he's this mild, uh, mild uh, British gentleman. He was so calming. He knew exactly what to do to calm me down, but it didn't work. (laughs) I was scared out of my pants when I went out in the studio and auditioned. And Dino was there, and I remember singing a couple songs and going back in the studio and talking to the guys. Thank you very much, you know, we'll get back to you guys. We got in the car, as soon as I shut the door, I said, I'll never hear from those guys again. But it was fun to meet Kent Scott, you know. And Dino looks, he was driving. And he, because I, I was too nervous, I couldn't even drive. He looks over at me in the passenger seat and he goes, you got the gig, man. I said, what? He said, you got the gig. I said, what are you talking about? He said, when you started singing on that stuff in the studio and Ken placed your voice in the track and got it all sounded sweet and nice, he said, it fit like a glove. He said, it just worked perfectly. I said, you must have been hearing something totally different than what I was hearing. Because you know I was so nervous that my voice was quivering on the high notes. But I think they knew that. I think Ken knew that because when I produce a singer, I can tell when he's nervous because their, their high notes start quivering. You got to bring him in the studio, calm him down, start talking about you know sports or something, get their mind off singing. But anyway, Dina said you got the gig, and I don't know if, if it was prophetic, but I guess maybe it was because I did get the gig.
1: Right, and and one of the songs that was a big hit for the group during the time you were in the band was called "Fight Fire with Fire," and. You wrote it with your brother Dino. Don, how did that song come about?
2: We wrote that in about 15 minutes. And I believe uh, somebody told me that it was uh, the highest charting rock single that Kansas ever had. Uh, Of course, not as popular as Wayward Son, but it charted really, really high. Yeah, that was one of those ones that you you hear these guys, you know, we came up with that song, Lickety Split. Seriously, we did. I mean, even even when we... When we... Because I write all my songs with just a dumb scat melody at first And that one just, even at the end of Dino and I writing it I was already singing
0: Fight fire with fire You
2: know, and it just, it worked And everybody that heard it instantly was it.
1: with lead vocalist John Elefante, a song from their 1983 album, Drastic Measures, on Full Circle. Now the music video for the song was one of the first rock videos to be blown up to 35 millimeter film and exhibited in movie theaters as a trailer. Perhaps that helped the song to reach number three on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Charts.
0: Back to where it all began, Full Circle.
1: This is Jerry Bryant, and on this special episode of Full Circle, I'm taking an in-depth look at the life of a man who's been a big influence in early CCM to the present, John Elefante. Now, if you enjoy hearing interviews from time to time on my episodes, why don't you drop me a note and let me know, and maybe I can get one of your favorites to come on the show. You can write me at info at fullcirclejesusmusic.com, that's info at FullCircleJesusMusic.com Hi, this is Brian Duncan, used to be in the Sweet Comfort Band, and you're listening to the very best of classic Christian music with Jerry Bryant. Now the first album during John Elefante's tenure with the group Kansas was called Vinyl Confessions, and many of the songs in this album had strong spiritual overtones as well as a strong evangelistic message. One of the more popular songs on the LP was called Play the Game Tonight. It reached number four in the mainstream rock charts in 1982. Now if one reads into the lyrics, it seems as if the song was a commentary on being a musician in a popular rock band and the struggles of dealing with that kind of fame and choosing not to succumb to the idolization that's placed on someone in that position. Here's John talking about the recording of that track.
2: Play the game tonight. I was in Atlanta, and Philly Hart, the drummer, handed me this tape of this song called Stay With Me Tonight.
0: Stay, stay with me tonight.
2: He said, learn it, kind of make it your own vocally, and we're going to rehearse it tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And the rest of the guys heard it, and I think there must have been some chatter that I was uh, not privy to, but Kerry said, not going to do it. Not Kansas should not be singing He's not going to sing a song called "Stay with Me Tonight." So they contacted the writers. I think, I think, and got permission to change the lyric. And Kerry changed it to play the game tonight. But uh, it was a great song. I just, uh, I got a little squeamish about "Stay with Me Tonight." You know, I, I didn't feel comfortable singing that. I was really, really glad when Kerry changed that lyric. And what, what, I'll tell you another great story about that for those Queen fans out there. I, I mean. I'm a big admirer of Queen. I, I, I just think those guys were so incredibly creative. Um, sometimes you got to take the people in the band and and what they were into and separate it from the music. And as an artist, I like to do that because you know all the talent comes from God. It's just what you do with it. But, I mean, Queen was just a tremendous band. I mean, they, they, the the sound that they that they came up with was just like nothing I'd ever heard before. And when we were doing the background vocals on "Play the Game Tonight," uh, in walks Roger uh, Taylor, the drummer in Queen, and yeah, shake hands and how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of starry eyed at that point. So it was me, David Pack from Ambrosia, and Roger Taylor. We're gonna sing the background vocals, you know, the high parts and stuff. As soon as he opened his mouth and started singing, I had a headphone off because I wanted to hear him, and I heard that top end of the Queen sound the Queen vocal sound I went, there it is. I've been, trying, I've been trying to reproduce that sound for years and I can't do it because I don't have him. He has that screechy kind of top end. It had, a, it had uh, the waveforms in his vocals were so unique. That was so cool. It was just really, really cool. And then when I went in the studio after we stacked it four times and I heard kind of that Queen top end, it was like, man, that's how they do it. It's a combination of, of Roger Taylor and Freddie Mercury together they just they create this sound that's like everybody tried copping the whole deaf leper thing including us you know and um that was a little easier to cop because it wasn't i think as unique as a freddie mary and roger taylor working together but that was a great great moment
1: The Game Tonight, Kansas, written by John Elefante, our special guest on Full Circle. Now let me just pause to say that if you've tuned into the show, each episode of Full Circle features the classics of early Jesus music and the transition to today's contemporary Christian music with stories, interviews, and features. And if you'd like to have more information, head over to www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com. That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. Check out the photos, links to many of the artists, and archives of past shows. You'll find it all at www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com. And if you'd like to help us underwrite the cost of the next show, there's information on the site for that as well. I'll be right back. Full circle.
2: Hi, this is John Elefonte, and you're listening to Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. We're taking you back to where it all began.
1: Welcome back. This is Jerry Bryant, and back to our interview with John Elefonte. In 1983, John's brother Dino produced an album for a classic Jesus music group called The Sweet Comfort Band, and he asked his brother John to come in and help write some of the songs and sing some background vocals. Well, he made quite an impression on the rest of the guys in the band with his vocal talents, especially with lead vocalist and keyboardist Brian Duncan. And here's John to tell us a little bit more about one of the tracks on that album. That was
2: really interesting. That was a great band. And Brian was such a phenomenal singer. And he wrote this song. Uh, this is one of my memories about Brian because it was it was so humbling for him to tell me this. But he wrote a song, something, the word jealousy was in the song. And he came up to me one day, very humble. I said, John, you know I wrote that song about you. I said, really? And here's a guy that, like, you know, I hear his voice and it's like, you know, I can't hold a candle this guy. And... Envy and jealousy—I think was the name of the song. Brian confessed that he he had this, you know, this this jealous thing again. But you know, obviously, it was something that he was able to confess, so it wasn't. I took no offense to it at all. It was more flattering than anything. And I I, said, I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know, I don't think you have anything to be jealous of, Brian. (laughs) You got you got everything I got, and uh, we had some great memories with those guys. They're really really good guys.
1: From the album, Perfect Timing. On Light Records, the Sweet Comfort Band with Envy and Jealousy. On Full Circle, back to where it all began. The Sweet Comfort Band, on Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. Now, if you're just joining me, I've been featuring the collective work of John Elefante, along with his personal comments on his contribution to the sound of contemporary Christian music. Now, John's probably best known as one half, along with his brother Dino, of the production team for the group Petra, from 1985 to the year 2000 for a total of 13 albums. One of the first was the band's ninth release called Back to the Street. The album is also the first to feature new lead singer John Slitt, former lead singer of the secular rock band Head East. It was recorded and mixed at the Brothers Recording Studio called Pachyderm Studios in Long Beach, California. John talks about that experience and looking for a new lead singer to replace Greg Vos, who had gone on to a solo career.
2: Um, right after I left Kansas, a Bob Hartman called Dino, um, didn't know that I would be interested in, in getting involved or not. So he called Dino and said, would you like to produce the next Petra record? And you know, Dino, it's, it sparked his interest. We hadn't, again, we hadn't had a lot of experience with Christian music up until then. So that was another whole eye-opening experience, but Bob told Dino's, you know there's only one there's only one thing I got to tell you that uh, Greg Valls is not with the band anymore, and you know we're, we're auditioning some singers, so you know right away you kind of just go Phew, man that's going to be a tough one. Greg is the voice of Petra, and you know they just got through this tremendous record. Um, yeah, I think it was Beat the System. They just got through that record. I believe that was the record before we came in, which was a phenomenal record. And I'm thinking, how are we going to top this with a new singer? And where are we going to find this new singer that can, you know, those are some huge shoes to fill. And, you know, it was a it was tr- a tremendous task. So enter John Schlitt. And John had, um, when he came in the studio, he was, uh, had a lot of experience in the record business, obviously, through Head East. And But John came in the studio and, and John was as nervous as I was auditioning for Ken Scott because he hadn't sang in a while. You know, he he kept apologizing Guys, I haven't sang in a while It's been a while since I've sang And, you know, forgive me And it's like, John, you know I, I had to get him to relax It's okay, I, we, I know you can sing I've heard you do it Because he had been out just working a job And I don't know where I don't know how Bob got a hold of him But he did So we started that record And Bob had already written some good songs And, you know, when I decided to get involved I, you know, I think he welcomed the fact That I would I would get involved somewhat In the writing aspect as well But, you know, it was different with a new singer but I think the end result turned out pretty good. John definitely had to get his his, uh, his land legs back. He'd been out at sea for a little while. I, I think I I, I helped uh, I helped him do that, and me and John became tremendous friends through the process, as well as Bob Hartman. It was a family. They they made Dean and I part of the family. I mean, they always said to us, when you guys get involved, it's not like you're just producing. You're part of the band, and that's the way we liked it, and that's the way that's why we got the reputation of being too hands on, but. That's just just the that's just the process that we took when we produced a record. It's, you got to get inside the band. You can't just stand from afar and just go. Oh, try it again. Yeah, you know, try it again. Try that solo again. It was a little too um, uninspiring. You know, it was, we would dig a little deeper than that. So I always I always, uh, always love the fact that the, the guys in Petra kind of led us into the band when we produced a record.
1: Now, one of the songs on John Slit's debut with Petra was called "Thankful Heart." Tell us more about that track.
2: I remember the most about "Thankful Heart" because I had this little melody that I was working on. And I just said, na 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 na. And I, I brought the music and the melody to Bob, and I think he actually went back to the hotel room in California and came up with the whole lyric. And it just they married each other beautifully.
0: Are you big?
1: The Thankful Heart, inspired by Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, which reads, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, John began focusing on heavier music, and formed a hard rock band with his brother, Dino, called Mastodon. (laughs) The band's name was a pachyderm-inspired reference to the brother's last name. And although John was an accomplished vocalist and performer, the Mastodon albums featured multiple lead singers and performances by other artists, creating an eclectic sound anchored by John's songwriting. And his brother, Dino, played a prominent role contributing songwriting and handling most of the guitar work. Mastodon's first release in 1989 was titled, It's a Jungle Out There. And a year later, the band released Cardio. He also released three more solo albums in the 90s that were more CCM radio friendly. Just recently, John finished at work on another Mastodon project, and, well, here's John to tell us how this came about after 20 years without a recording in this vein. Full circle.
2: The guys at Frontiers Records in Italy, they distribute all through Europe. They have been asking me to make a Mastodon record for the last 20 years, a new one, and just never got around to it. I mean, how do you reproduce something that just happened spontaneously 20-something years ago with, with multiple singers? A lot of the singers, I don't even remember who they were. Dave Robbins and, and you know, I, I mean, Dave Amato, I certainly remember. We're still good friends. But, I mean, how do you reproduce that? How do you get those same people? It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to bring in all these guest players that were on. That was kind of like the Alan Parsons project. It's what I would, would compare it to. So I thought to myself, you know what? I could make a Mastodon record. I mean, really, Dino and I were Mastodon with, you know, plugging in holes with different players. And, you know, we produced it, we wrote it, most of it, and I can, I can easily make another Mastodon record. So, uh, but I have, to, I have to back up by saying, I don't want to get too long winded with this. That's, you know, between the mid 90s and the year 2000, classic rock kind of died for a while. I mean, I have a good good friend of mine, Kelly Keggy, that, that sang Sister Christian in the group uh, Night Ranger. And he said there was a point in the 90s where those guys couldn't get arrested. They couldn't get a gig. I don't know if it was the earlier 90s. He said it just wasn't hip. He said when Nirvana came out of Seattle, they shut everybody up. Nobody, nobody wanted to hear Foreigner. Nobody wanted to hear Journey then. Everything turned to that Seattle scene. It was like this new conscious movement that was happening there that just took everybody by surprise. And that's all the people were listening to nobody was into the nostalgia of the old great classic Genesis and Journey and Foreigner and Kansas and it died for a while lo and behold it came back the Seattle scene died and somewhere somebody put on an old Foreigner record and went wow somebody put on the first Boston record and went oh my goodness this is still really good and uh it started re-emerging and so groups like REO, Sticks, and Kansas, and you know trios like that would go out on the road and start selling fifteen thousand seats. And now it's back, bigger than ever. So I thought to myself, this is a perfect time to make a classic rock sounding record. So when I started writing for the Mastodon record. You know, I knew that I was going to sing it all, and I wanted to sing it all. And um, the timing was right. It was just right. Uh, it was a fun record to make. A very fun record to make especially when Kerry Living got involved. That really made it fun. His first record I played all the rhythm guitar on. Dino, well, actually, Dino played some, but I played most of it. Dino played some acoustic, and I, I, I didn't think it was going to get the reviews it got. I, th- I thought I was going to get reviews like this is very dated sounding. But dated, I found out dated is good, <laughs> especially in Europe. I mean, they still like vinyl. I was amazed. I mean, I was getting back these five-star reviews. I mean, saying this is a must-have record. I've always reviews saying, you know, a must-have, an instant classic. Somebody called it, and I don't mean toot my arm here, but I'm just telling what other people wrote. Somebody said, this is a classic rock record already, and it was just made. You know, and classic usually denotes back when. But when somebody calls a new record a classic record, that's 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 a very high compliment. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm talking with John Elefante on this special episode of Full Circle about a brand new album from Mastodon called Revolution of Mind. And so I think it's time for us to play some from that album. I asked John about his favorite song on the album, and, well, he pointed out to the very thought-provoking track called Questions.
2: I wrote it when a lot of the political stuff was going on. I'm I'm not going to take any side with any political affiliation in this form. But I just thought, you know, you know, we have a black president running for office and really it doesn't matter what color he is. It really really doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, there's some reference to that in the song and and the color of a man does, does not matter at all. And it just asks a lot of questions. What would you do in these certain scenarios? Would you help a brother in need or would you just walk on? What would you do? These are the questions we ask ourselves everybody asks those questions you know what what would i do in that situation you know i mean do you do you look at a man differently because he's a different color than you or different shape size or origin i mean it's just about a lot of questions i think we ask ourselves which is which was a compelling thought for me for a song
0: would you man up or walk away Get the best of you. Will you embrace a lie or the truth? These are the questions we ask ourselves. Would you help?
1: brand new, from Mastodon, the album entitled Revolution of Mind. The song, Questions. And if you'd like to know more, simply go to www.mastodonband.com. That's mastodonband.com. Say, I hope you've enjoyed this special episode with John Elefante as much as I have. And if you have an artist you'd like to see as a guest, on Full Circle, or if you have requests for songs from days gone by, why not let me know when you write this week at info at Music.com. That's info at Music.com. Now, this is a listener-supported ministry, so if you want to help out in some way, I'd really appreciate your contribution at www.FullCircleJesusMusic.com That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. Thanks.
2: Hi, this is John Elefante, and we're taking you back to where it all began, the best Jesus music on Full Circle with Jerry Bryant.
1: This is Jerry Bryant, and, well, I've been talking with special guest John Elefante on this episode of Full Circle. Now, if you'd like to check out more of John's music, you can go to his personal website, At www.johnelefante.com That's johnelefante.com In case you don't know how to spell the name, it's E-L-E-F-A-N-T-E E-L-E-F-A-N-T-E The website's johnelefante.com You can check out his complete bio and discography, even go to the store and download some long, out-of-print classic rock masterpieces. Now, before I go, I'd like to tell you that we have more interviews coming up with some of your favorite musicians from the Jesus music era, including Greg X. Vos from the newly reformed Petra, as well as Derry Doherty from the band The Choir. Now, this last song comes from the 1990 release Lafcadio, created by John and Dino Elefante's band Mastodon. The title Lefcadio comes from the name of a character in a children's book about a lion that could roar music. So, here to close out the show, and it's aptly entitled, It Is Done.
0: In the midst of a stormy winter's night, when you're out in the cold, who do you turn to to make you feel warm when you've done it from the fall.
1: Fonte and Mastodon and it is done and it is he's finished his work when he gave it all on the cross and we're done too it's back to the studio to produce the next episode of the show thanks for listening until next time keep your eyes to the sky and let your light shine this is Jerry Bryant Full Circle is recorded in the Jesus Solid Rock Studios in Nashville, Tennessee written by Russell Baum and engineered by Jeff Kane. Full Circle is a JSR production.
0: This is Full Circle.